welcome, welcome, welcome back to Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J, and this is episode 10 of the Tara Baker Story, part 3 of The Suspects. Now, it's important for you to know that suspect number 3 is simply for simplicity labeling him that way, and does not imply that the person we will discuss in this podcast has necessarily been considered a suspect by the athens Clark County Police Department, but I think it is worth bringing them up and mentioning them for you to hear. So now that that's out of the way, I hope you're ready because we are getting ready to dive into a lot of new information from sources from all of you. We've heard about who Tara was as a daughter and sister, who she was as a friend and a student, but there's one aspect that I really feel we haven't gotten to yet, and that's for good reason. Who was Tara Louise Baker as a professional? Now remember, she took a brief break between undergrad and grad school, and during that time, she came to work for the Athens' premier law firm, Fortson, Bentley, and Griffin, which at the time was located in downtown Athens on College Avenue. And that's where Tara was flourishing as a paralegal for the firm's real estate department, and she was well on her way to achieving her dream. It was quite obvious to everyone in the firm that this was the case, that Tara would be a fine real estate attorney practicing what she called happy law that she always dreamed of until what happened on Fawn Drive in January of 2001. I was able to obtain an exclusive paragraph that was written by Tara herself, actually, and it describes beautifully why she loved law and why she wanted to attend law school in the first place. My desire to obtain a legal education began at an early age and developed steadily throughout various stages of my life. My inborn sense of justice has steadily grown into a keen interest and love for the judicial system and its structure. Subsequently, my undergraduate education was devoted entirely to the study of law and preparation for my goal of attending law school. A desire to obtain some practical experience led me to work as a paralegal in two law firms where every attorney I came into contact with has been a graduate of the University of Georgia's School of Law. I have had the privilege of working with some people who have exemplified the kind of moral and ethical standards that I desire to see nourished and developed in my own character. It comes as a natural conclusion that those qualities were refined during their legal study. Therefore, it is my opinion that acquiring a legal education from the University of Georgia School of Law would not only fulfill my aspiration of pursuing a degree in the legal field, but would also facilitate my overall growth as an individual. Again, this was from Tara Baker on why she wanted to attend law school. As you can see, Tara knew what she wanted in life, and she was hyper-aware of everything going on in her life. But was something, rather someone, at the law firm having feelings or entanglements that our Tara wasn't aware of? We've got a lot to dig into this week, and this is Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right to it, Classic City Crime Insiders. This week on the podcast, I was on the road for six hours to obtain an exclusive interview with our next guest, Lauren. You see, Lauren and Tara were not only co-workers at this downtown law firm, but they quickly became dear friends, something that most people describe when they met Tara. I met Tara when she started at Fortson Bentley and Griffin in the real estate department as a paralegal. Her cubicle was across from mine. I was a part-time clerk then, and she, of course, was full-time for the time being. And um, she came in and started unpacking her little box of stuff and put photos on her desk. And I introduced myself, and I look, and I'm like, that's, that's my cousin in that photo on your <laughs> desk. And sure enough, they had they were both members of... Um, of uh, the same sorority just left me (laughs) um and had lived in the house together in fact she was in my cousin's wedding in the the march before she died so we just clicked we just clicked and what was tara like as a friend what what did y'all enjoy doing together what could you count on her for just give us the rundown of who tara was she was just a wonderful person Uh, she was very supportive she was fun. Uh, she was fun to talk to. When she would get excited, her voice would get really excited. Uh, she smiled all the time. In fact, I remember 
you know, she had to talk on the phone with different real estate agents and, and uh, banks and that kind of lenders. And I remember somebody told her that they could hear her smile through the phone. And um, she was, we loved to go out to eat. We loved to shop. Uh, loved to talk about history. Uh, we talked about, you know, writing books. We, we wanted to write a book about Rose Hill Cemetery in Macon. Because it's one of the oldest cemeteries in Georgia. Um, just just everything but we went to lunch regularly and that was something we kept doing after she started law school that first semester we made it a point I think every Tuesday we went to lunch we'd meet downtown and get something quick and just visit because first year is so demanding um, it really takes effort to stay in touch with people who are outside of the law school circle and that's the type of friend she was she made the effort she and how long was um how long was it that you and Tara worked together before she started law school? About a year and a half. So how often did you see one another um, after she started law school? Did you still hang out? Did she come by the firm? Um, definitely at least once a week, sometimes two times a week. But as it's been stated before by other lawyers on here, that first year of law school was so demanding and it's all-encompassing. And I, I understood that, even though I wasn't in law school at the time. So, yeah, we would... Uh, at least see each other once a week. We would talk on the phone. Um, texting really wasn't a thing then. <laughs> um, but, you know, we stayed in touch. So we've heard a lot about who Tara was in law school. We've heard a lot about um, her relationship with Chris now. We've heard about her family life. One thing that we haven't heard a lot about is her work life and, you know, what that was like for her. Can you tell us a little bit about what Tara's day in the workplace might have looked like and um, how she interacted with her coworkers? Sure. She uh, she was very conscientious. She was uh, a bit of a perfectionist. You know, she graduated from Georgia College in three years with two degrees and uh, a 4.0. So you can she applied this the same studious nature that it takes to get to law school. That it takes to get two degrees in that amount of time. She applied that at work, and especially in a real estate department, uh, you got to get things right. You know, you're dealing with numbers. You're dealing with these you know, two-inch thick closing packets, a lot of paperwork back then. I, a lot of it's uh, more electronic now, I'm sure, but you're talking about tons of paperwork, and she, you know, she was very precise about it, very diligent about it, and took a lot of pride in her work and wanted things to be done correctly. And um, how did she fit in with the uh, crew at Fort Smith? Oh, everybody loved her. She was just so bubbly. You, you could not like her. She was one of those people that you just, you just loved. She was just so sweet and kind and just a joy to be around. She truly was a joy to be around. Um, did you all ever hang out outside of work as a group? Yeah. Yeah, we did. And how were those hangouts just going out on the town or just... Uh, just a lot of times we say on a Thursday or Friday after work we would go you know the firm was downtown then it's not anymore but we would just leave work and walk downtown to one of the little restaurants and the brick building across from Indigo yeah like with a gated yeah it's yeah. 440 College Avenue mm -hmm. um and we'd just go to a local place get some appetizers and get you know a glass of wine or beer or whatever and just talk and chat and you know just unwind so to speak mm -hmm. sometimes we'd go to dinner you know just depending on what everybody had going on um so before we get into the time surrounding tara's loss um i wanted to ask you and this is something i ask everybody did you sense anything off or that would have given you concern the week of january 19th or was no. everything as normal no everything was Everything was normal. We were, you know, getting ready to celebrate her birthday. That Monday was Martin Luther King Day. It had been a, ho a holiday, a long weekend. And so it was a short week in anticipating her birthday, you know. So. Quite honestly, it sounds to me as though the law firm was a pretty great place to not only work, but to have some fun, too. They would all work hard and then would have get-togethers outside of the office to enjoy Athens and the classic city. 
So we know Tara worked for this law firm, her best friend there was Lauren, and that she was doing a good job, working hard, ready to get into law school. Tara stopped working for the law firm after she started school because as Lauren and Katie and Eugenia from law school put it, the first year is really, really grueling and naturally intelligent Tara had to study really hard for the first time. But Tara, even in the hustle and bustle of law school, she still made time for her friends at the law firm and she would often stop by to see her former co-workers. So it came as no surprise to me when I find out that Lauren actually saw Tara and spoke with her several times during the week of her murder. Actually, that Monday, which was Martin Luther King Day, I guess that would have been the 15th, I stopped by there. I think I had been home that weekend, and I stopped by there coming back into town. And I think, yeah, she was there by herself that afternoon. And we just sat around for a while, had the TV on, just chatting. I think she she was eating an early dinner, and um, she had been studying, but, you know, took a break, and we just sat around talking and watched, you know, whatever was on TV. It was just kind of in the background. We mm-hmm. were talking, catching up on things. And nothing off? Nothing. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Just, um, you know, she talked a little bit about school. You know, law school's hard. It's hard. And uh, I think it was the first time she'd ever really been challenged <laughs> academically. <laughs> and, um, you know... She was thinking ahead, you know, law school, you fo- starting that second semester, you really start focusing on where you're going to work or clerk that summer. And she was starting to, you know, get her stuff together, her um, resume and a writing sample and all to submit to some places. I don't remember specific places that she was wanting to clerk, but um, that's important for when, if, if you want to go to a big firm after you graduate, to have really good summer jobs and to get that summer experience so that was that was in the forefront mm-hmm. I last saw Tara on Tuesday yes I it had been daytime when I'd gotten to the house on phone drive that Monday it was dark when I left so I didn't realize I left my sunglasses there at her house and she came by after class and brought them to me and my desk was on the main floor so she came by, spoke to everybody, brought me my sunglasses, and then she went upstairs. And was there anyone particularly upstairs that she would go upstairs to see? Well, she, you know, the firm really was like a family. Um, and we knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody. But she had gone up there to talk to one of the litigation attorneys. We, I, I feel like we talked that Wednesday or Thursday. I know I document that's documented um, with the police. I don't remember now. It's been so long. Certain details are so crystal clear. And then other things, especially after I found out that she had died, they, they become quite muddy. But I know we talked at some point. We were planning on going out for her birthday that Friday evening. And we had switched locations, and I know we talked either when I know we talked Wednesday trying to shore that up because we had made a last minute switch of where we were going to go. And um, that Thursday, by then I had gra- I graduated a semester early. I was working at the firm full time, and so I was keeping you know pretty regular hours. That Thursday, I had run some errands after work, had gone home, and as it's been said before, cell phones then were not what they are now. You had limited minutes. You just, (laughs) (laughs) you didn't didn't talk on them. That was not your primary phone. We all had house phones. And um, since I had to be at work, you know, early the next morning, I, I went to bed you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I, I did miss a call from her. It was between 11 and 11.30. And the next morning when I got up, I would have gotten up around 6. I probably started trying to call her around 6.30 because I knew she would be up getting ready to go to class. I knew she had an earlier class. And I started trying to call her, and she didn't answer. And... You know, I just kind of played it off. She's in a hurry. You know, she's trying to get to class. And then there had been an incident the semester before. 
And like I said, cell phones were not a big thing. Now when they ring somewhere, nobody thinks anything about it. But her cell phone had rung in a class. And the professor had absolutely humiliated her. And she was so embarrassed about it that she, I mean, became super vigilant about making sure her phone was turned off. So when I, all during the day when I kept trying to get her and couldn't get her, I was thinking, okay, she's just got the phone turned off because she was so embarrassed that the professor had just humiliated her about it you know now I, it's probably not a big deal but had just she was so embarrassed that i thought okay she's just got the phone turned off to avoid that embarrassment again but you see tara and lauren they were not alone in this circle of friends at the law firm in fact there was another young attractive lawyer in their midst more on him next suspect number three we'll be right back this week, Classic City Crime is sponsored by McKinney Designs out of good old Jefferson, Georgia. At McKinney Designs, they can hook you up with all of your sign needs, from lettering to monumental signs. They also specialize in vehicle wrapping, motorsports graphics, school signage, logos, and really any kind of variety of sign you can think of. Give Scott a call today at 706-552-2804. McKinney Designs, your place for all your sign needs. So this lawyer is really interesting, and I'm really interested to see how all of you perceive him as we move throughout this episode of the podcast. Um, you see, Tara, the lawyer, and Lauren would email together at work, and those emails I have seen, they're rather interesting. In fact, the lawyer would ask Tara and Lauren to call him by names such as King and Your Majesty. Um, of course, it may have just been a tribute to their love of literature, but it does stick out a little bit to me. This lawyer had also helped Tara with her last name change, so he knew a lot about her personal details in her life, and she had invited him out, actually, for her birthday on Friday as well, an event that he could not attend due to a certain reason. Listen to this. He was not a lot older than us. He was a younger lawyer. I don't even think he was 30 uh, yet. He So... He was kind of in this age group between the clerks and between the older lawyers. So he would talk to us. He took an interest. Since he wasn't that long out of law school, he took an interest in us wanting to go to law school and her actually going. I, I didn't start till the next year. But, um, you know, yeah, we'd talk, hang out. Um, he, would, he was in the group that would go with us after work sometimes. And um, we'd go to lunch. And he was very interesting, very intelligent. He had gone to a very top-tier, top-five law school. And was just very, very engaging, big personality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you know if he um, ever had a thing for Tara or if there was anything um, in that regard? I don't know that you could say a thing mm -hmm. uh, they they did have a, a special friendship. I'll, he did her name change. Mm -hmm. And I think you've talked about that in uh, previous episodes. Her last name had been Barker, and her mom married Mr. Lindsay when she was about 10 years old. And she considered him her dad. She had very little contact with her biological father. And in such a strange coincidence, there was just one letter difference in the name. And she had gotten this attorney to help her do a name change. She wanted her name changed before she started law school. She wanted it to be Baker on her law degree. And in order to take the bar, you have to go through a pretty extensive background check. And, and she knew that. And she knew she needed, the sooner she got the name change done, the better. And especially once you start law school and you're so busy. So she wanted to get it done so that she was Baker the whole time she was in law school. So uh, he had done the name change for her. And did he help her with that while she was working? Yes. Okay. Yes. She did it before she went to law school. Okay. The attorney had stopped going out with us. He was married, and his wife did not think too much of him going out after work. Especially if she couldn't be there. And I think she traveled a lot. I know she traveled a lot. Mm -hmm. And he had told Tara 
earlier in the week that he could not go to the birthday gathering. And she really wanted him to go because she considered him, you know, a, a good friend. Yeah, I, I did too. And um, so that Friday morning, I came into work and I was going to try to talk to him and convince him to go for just five minutes. You know, you don't even have to order anything to eat or, you know, just just go for five minutes, speak, say hey, and then leave. But he was not there. And he was not there that morning. And usually he would have been there by that time. Mm-hmm. And for some, that, that stuck in my mind um, that he was not there. And I, I would fill in in the receptionist spot. And I did that morning. And I could see everybody's calendar on a primitive version of Outlook mm-hmm. that we were using, probably the first version of Outlook. And I remember looking, because I was like, you know, he should be here by now. And I remember looking at the calendar, because you would put it on there if you had a meeting at such and such, or um, court such and such, so that everybody would know where you were. Mm-hmm. And it was the way they kept, you kept up with your own schedule, and there was nothing on there for, for him to where I would think, oh, he, he, he'll be here, you know, later. There was nothing on there. He just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that he... And his wife, you know, she didn't like him going out, things like that. Take me back real quick. I forgot to ask you about Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You remember Tara going upstairs yeah, she went to talk upstairs. to the lawyer. Um, she went upstairs. Tell me about that. Did, did you hear anything? Did you know what that conversation might have been about? What do you remember about that? Well, it was nothing for her, for, for them to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, when, where my sign-in timesheet and all was located. I had to walk by his office if I took the staircase nearest my desk. And I walked by and the door was, his door was shut and I could hear them in there talking. And I went and signed out and I started to go back by the door. It's, It's not very far. But I had, it seems like I had to return a library book, and I had to get to the library before it closed, and I just went ahead and left, and I'm like, I'll catch up with her later, mm-hmm. having no idea, mm-hmm. you know. Do you know if Tara asked him to come out for her birthday, personally? Yeah, I feel like, yeah, she did. Yeah, okay, and yeah. he could not make it because of well, Right, he had kind of been put on restrictions, so to speak. So you've had, like I said, 20 years to sit back and think. And you told me that in those 20 years, you know, there have been certain things that have come back and that when you've talked with others that have been, you know, suspicions confirmed on certain things. Um, When did things start clicking in your head that someone within your professional circle might could have been involved? You know that saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. It's when I got out of the forest. Um, I wound up going to law school somewhere else. A month to the day after Tara's death, I got a letter giving me a scholarship that made my tuition almost to the dollar, the amount that it would have been had I stayed at UGA. And um, I couldn't have stayed there. And once I left Athens and... I guess maybe a year or so out is when little things started occurring to me. What were some of those little things? The fact (laughs) (laughs) the fact that the lawyer was not there that morning. Um, And that Saturday he had shown up at our mutual co-worker's house and his behavior was odd. Um, I don't remember it as much as my co-workers. Like I said, those first few weeks after she died, I was functional, but that's about it. It's, it's really a fog. But I started thinking back um, for her last day, we all went out. You know, a lot of us went out. We had a full, you know, appetizer drinks, then had a dinner and everything, and he was not allowed to go. He was on restriction then. 
but he had promised her that he would make it up to her so another night like a random weeknight when his wife was out of town he took the two of us out downtown and he got very intoxicated very intoxicated to the point I was kind of like okay this is this is not good and um at some point he his behavior became even more erratic and at the time I didn't I didn't realize it but now I I think he had taken something I mean he he was acting crazy uh we went back to the office and he went inside and I kind of followed in because I'm like what is he doing and he was just running around like a maniac jumping on furniture and I was horrified I mean uh, thank god there were no cameras I was thinking what if he breaks something what what is he doing and it just didn't make any sense and um I was like this is not good and and Tara and I were both horrified by that and we didn't really talk about it much after that because we were both just so taken aback by it and just horrified of it but over time things just started kind of occurring to me that you know she was trying to get him to go out with us um the wife had been out of town but was coming back into town that friday and that was one reason why he was so adamant that you know she was coming back into town that friday and he had to go straight home and it's I, I just wonder, you know, I've wondered if maybe they made plans to have a drink after she got done studying Thursday. I've wondered that. She did not tell me that. He certainly did not. I don't know. Um, now, in her mind, there was absolutely nothing romantic there. Her heart belonged to Chris from day one. Um, I do know I, I'm very sentimental, and after she died, everything that I had that involved her at all... I, I tucked away in a bin and I printed a bunch of email, any email or anything like that that I had from her, I printed and I still have them and I was looking back through them uh, this week and I saw where she had wanted him to look at her resume and to proofread her writing sample and make suggestions for the summer clerkships and that was, that email was dated January 8th. So I don't know if they had planned to meet up for him to, to look at that or not. Or if she had that with her that Tuesday that she came out of the office. I don't remember that specifically. I just know she had my sunglasses. But um, And then other things have come out where other friends have come forward and they witnessed the erratic behavior by him. Um, some females that I know of he got kind of scary with never me um, and not not Tara before that I know of and I she would have told me if anything like that would have happened um, but other females over the years have told me that they had incidents where he got scary for lack of a better word with them did it did you know him to have extramarital affairs? I suspected. So after Tara died, did your and his friendship continue or did he change? Well, I know I changed. Um, I, you know, cared nothing about socializing. I was, I mean, it, it was just a very dark time. I, I went to work and I went home. Know, um, I know, and I know I did not talk to him as much. It was just, it was just too everything hard. Yeah, everything was different. Her death is really a, a marking point in my life. There's before and there's after. Because it changed, it changed everything. It changed how I saw the world. It changed um, my personal sense of security um, even now 20 
years later I still st I startle very easily if I can't get in touch with someone and I'm better than I was initially but if I can't get in touch with one I go into panic someone that I'm looking for I go into panic mode and go instantly to something terrible has happened and um, that's all uh, a part of, of what happened did he stick around the law firm for a long time? No, he left within months. Within months? Yeah. He was gone before I was. So you see, from all accounts that I've heard so far, the lawyer was quite the interesting character. There are some people who said that he even did a drug occasionally while drinking that rich white men are known to do. His erratic behavior while drinking, and sometimes he had odd encounters with other women. I want you to meet this next guest. She and the lawyer both worked together at the same downtown firm, and as life often happens, the two ended up having an affair. She was unmarried, but the attorney was married. I asked her about her experience with the lawyer, and the story is quite the bombshell. All right, so I guess where I want to start is, the first question is, were you and Kara close at all, or were y'all just kind of in the same sphere as peripherally? How did, how did yeah, y'all Yeah, we play? just, I knew her from working at the firm and we would, you know, groups of us would go out, I, you know, together. I wouldn't say we were, for, you know, close, close friends, but we were definitely acquaintances and saw each other, you know, every day when she worked at the firm. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, she was, she was just a very nice, sweet girl. And it was kind of hard not to like her. <laughs> right, right. Um, but other than, you know, that relationship, you did have a closer relationship with someone in Tara's circle, um, the lawyer. So tell me more about how you came to know him and what that relationship was like um, as it budded and, and you know, came okay. together. So I worked at the firm and sat outside um, of his office. We, you know, just cut up and joke around. Um Whenever groups of us would go out drinking, you know, after work, he would be there. We would just cut up. And then, um, you know, I'd say we were we were friends. And then one, it was in like January. This would have been January of 2000 or, yeah, 2000. We, um, I went out with some other friends not related to uh, the firm at all. And he was at the globe and we just hung out and talked and then at the end of the night we both had been drinking and he didn't have a car downtown so i gave him a ride back to um his friend's house where he was house sitting or staying and then i ended up staying the night and we ended up sleeping together um is there anything that stood out to you about that night that makes you have pause now looking back with everything you know about Tara's case? Well, you know, it doesn't, that night, not in particular, but about six months later, like I said, we were, we were friends. We would all hang out. I was leaving the firm because I had finished uh, school and was taking another job and we had a, a going out, a going away party. Mm -hmm. And so me and him and um, all went out, well, some, a bunch of people went out for drinks, but then we stayed out. The three of us did. And then um, him and I went, ended up having, sleeping together that night as well. And that night, you know, I, he was more aggressive as far as, you know, pulling hair, spanking, you know, um, dirty talk, that type thing. Was it something that you would say was um, made you uncomfortable or was just him? Oh, I was just, I mean, honestly, I was, was so drunk, I don't think that, <laughs> you know, the, as far as being uncomfortable. But I do remember thinking, oh, okay, because the first time was not like that. Okay. Um, did you ever know um, this person to use drugs when he would be drinking or anything like that? Um, yeah, I know that he, I want to say the night, in, that night in January that he either was smoking pot or something, but... Um, he was a heavy partier. Um, you know, I never witnessed him with my own eyes, but, you know, after Kara's death, you know, the day after when we all met up, he was very, um, just, he seemed very coked up to me, just mm -hmm. eyes wide open. It's like he hadn't slept in a couple of days. He was disheveled. He, 
you know, was just zooming around everywhere. And I, I just remember thinking, gosh, is he is he on something? And so tell me more about that. The day after Tara's death, you and some of your law firm coworkers, mm-hmm. including including this particular lawyer, meet up at mm-hmm. someone's house. Right. Um, we um, went over to our friend's house. It was the three of us. And then he came over and one of the girl's husbands. And then he came over and he came rushing in, you know, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, can you believe what happened? And somebody said, I don't. I don't um who could have done this and he said her dad did her dad did it was her dad mm-hmm. and I just remember looking at him and I was like I just had this gut feeling and I get gut feelings and they're usually correct and I was like he had something to do with this mm-hmm. he was just so adamant trying to push it in the direction of her dad mm-hmm. and no one else had even mentioned that Right. And so um, I just remember that being weird. And then he had scratches on his neck. And we were like, what happened to your neck? And he said something about he'd gotten a, a new cat or something, and it had scratched his neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, other than the funeral, was probably the last time I ever saw him mm-hmm. because I had quit working at, the, working at the firm at that point. Do you remember how the mood changed in the room when he started blaming it on Tara's biological father? You know, I don't know if the others picked up on it, but for, I mean, for me, I just was, I kind of got weirded out because I was just like, this is some, I don't, it was just the way he said it, the way he was acting. It was just, I, I don't even know how to explain it. He, it just was weird. So on that day, you felt in your gut that he had something to do with it. It didn't take long for you to feel that way. Not at all. As soon as he said that, I was like, why is he? bringing her dad doing mentioned so adamant about it it was mm-hmm. the way he said it do you remember what he was wearing that day i feel like he, i was thinking about this earlier today for some reason i feel like he had on like a white button down or mm-hmm. a white shirt and and jeans i think because right. i think that's kind of why we could see the scratches so well is because it was kind of right up against the shirt um did you ever talk to police I talked to the GBI about five years ago, but at the time, I did not for various reasons. Um, you know, I think I discussed with you just for the he he was married, I wasn't, um, so I didn't you know want to put that out there that I had had an affair with a married man, and um, just for my family's sake as well as mine. And and then I just kind of thought, well, you sure you're just overreacting, and then about five years afterwards I finally said something to someone I had moved to Charlotte and I finally said something to someone that I thought I knew who did it and we talked about it and it wasn't anybody related to the case it was just a general Mm -hmm. conversation and then at 10 years the anniversary came up and I had moved back and so that's when I sent a message and Lauren a message and said I think this person did this Mm-hmm. And they both said, so do we. And then we all talked, and so Lauren contacted the GBI, and then I went in, and I think that next week, and, you know, I gave them everything that I – what I told you about, mm-hmm. you know, the sexual encounters and stuff, and then how, this, how weird he was acting that day mm-hmm. and the scratches. And then after that initial interview, did you ever hear anything back? No. Uh, let's see. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you think you can speak to that would help with um, listeners, you know, putting together in their mind who he was? You know, he I, – I feel like he kind of lived two lives. I think he, you know, to the lawyers in the firm, he was this young up-and-coming attorney. Um, but he had another side to him that was – he was wanted to be a kid and party and, you know, hang out at the bars. Um you know, he, he was married at the time. He would seem perfectly happy with her, um, you know, when he was with her. And then, but then the next thing you know, he would be out, you know, I think one night he got a DUI and because he was driving back and forth from his house to the, to Athens. And, you know, it popped up, he didn't tell anybody, but it popped up in the paper. And so somebody saw it. But so I think he really tried to portray himself as two different people. 
One question I haven't asked you. Did you ever, um, around January 2001, see or hear anything about him possibly having interest in or his eye on Tara? No. It, up until uh, – I did not know anything about that until the when I finally, 10 years later, talked to Lauren and them, did all that compute. Because after she died, I moved. About mm-hmm. two years later, I just had to get out of Athens and – I I left town and moved, and then by the time I moved back, then I had sick parents and everything, and then that's when I finally touched base and kind of heard all this other stuff of all these other people that felt the same way. See what I mean? The sex, the drugs, all while being married, the violent, interesting sexual nature. It definitely doesn't have a, quote, good look, as us millennials say. I had another source from the group reach out, actually. She and her husband often would accompany the group out downtown, and she knew all of those interviewed for this episode, and she knew Tara as well. She spoke to me more about the day after Tara's murder, where everyone, including this lawyer, gathered at her house to grieve and to find out what possibly could have happened to Tara. Uh, I don't remember the exact moment that I met Tara. I just remember that she was um, at the firm, an employee at the firm, um, she was noticeable because she was just um, a beautiful young woman, a bubbly personality, and just very friendly and um, seemed like someone I wanted to get to know and hang out with. Knowing Tara, you also came into contact with a lawyer, an attorney there that she knew. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with him and how you grew to know him and what he was like? At the time, I worked uh, in the litigation department. I started as a legal assistant and became a paralegal within a couple of years, um, and that's how I knew the attorney. I worked for one specific attorney, but there were times when there were bigger cases that needed associate involvement or even other partners, and that's how I got to know the other attorney and many of the other attorneys, um, just because they all consulted together if there were really um, cases that just needed more consulting or um, just uh, kind of all hands on deck. And so that's how I got to know um, most of the attorneys there and specifically the, the other attorney. All right. Um, Did you ever notice anything odd about him prior to Tara's death, whether it be when you all would go out on the town or after a night out on the town, anything odd or off? I don't know that I would consider it odd or off. Um, Probably more in lines with inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably was one of the of the group of friends that I had there at the time, one of the only ones that was married with children mm-hmm. um, and was a little older than some of the others. Even I was in my mid-30s, I guess. Um, and most of the uh, the, uh, the assistants, legal assistants and law clerks and file clerks um, were probably in their early 20s um, and single. Um so I guess um, knowing that that particular person was married, um, just watching that um, their flirtatious behavior whenever there was happy hours um, was, I guess it just it I put it just kind of put me on notice that I needed to to kind of watch myself and just be aware that of that person's behavior. Um, so, like I said, I don't know that I'd call it um, that it was odd, or, but it was interesting that um, that that's just the way they chose to live their life. Sure. So the main thing I wanted to talk to you about um, is that I believe everyone came to your house on Saturday to kind of figure out um, what was going on and what might have happened. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And can you tell me about that experience and that day and if anything set unwell with you that day? Um, even though a lot of it is um, still just fuzzy, I, um, as I'm pretty sure 
you probably already know, Lauren spent the night or several nights with us, um, and we really were there trying to support each other. Um, I don't remember how it all came to be, but we all ended up, um, several people from the firm, friend, close friends, um, met at my house, and just to um, try to figure out what had happened and what what stories we had heard or been told. Um, as I mentioned before, my husband worked at the University of Georgia at the time, and so he knew information before I did and had um, more specific information or, than than I had. Um, most of the information that he had was released to the public um, within a few days, but um, he knew more about the timeline than I did. Um, and so we just had that type of discussion as to what happened and then just tried to wrap our minds around what had actually happened and and we were all still in just denial and disbelief and um and just trying to determine who would have who would have done something like that um we all um ruled out her boyfriend right away just because we all knew him and had met him and been around him um, socially, and um, he just was such a kind, caring person, and we knew that that Tara wouldn't associate herself with someone who who wasn't like her, um, or who didn't um, really um, follow the same standards and values that she did. So um, we really didn't consider him as a suspect at all. Um, but we just we couldn't. We, there was just no one in our mind, anyone that came to mind that would do something like that, and so we just assumed it was something random. Some that it's a, just a random. You know, why she was picked, we had no idea. But um, we knew she had roommates, and thought that maybe maybe one of them was targeted, um, and she just happened to be the one that was home. And we just we just couldn't we just couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the attorney, the lawyer in question, does show up to your house. Is that right? That's right. And how did he appear um, or seen that day? Um, it odd. Um, everything about him was odd. He was. Um, I didn't know what it. How to really describe it at the time. But just disheveled, and um, his eyes were kind of frantic looking, and um, almost like he'd had too much caffeine, just very, really hyper, mm-hmm. and um, kind of spastic, um, just odd, you know, not not his calm, normal demeanor. Not that anything was normal about the situation, but. Um, it just you know we were all so distraught and devastated that we were the tone for us was was quiet and um just unsettled and his was more of um i don't even know how to describe it it wasn't like he was thrashing about but it just was more frantic just um pacing and um, but more about it was really more about his demeanor, just and his his dress and his facial expressions and um, and really him trying to convince us of um, one particular person that he thought it could be, which would have which was um, Tara's biological father. Um, I had not met her biological father, but I had never and never heard her really speak of him, but um, I. From my from the information I had at the time, I believe that he had never visited her in Athens and wouldn't have known where she lived. So that didn't make sense to me at all. So I I really discounted it and didn't give it a second thought and didn't really even wonder at the time why he would have suggested that person. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not until later years that I um, that we um, really as I started talking more with um, with other people and particularly Lauren and and number one, um, did you ever notice him having scratches on him that day? I did, I did. Um, I noticed the scratches. My husband noticed the scratches, um, and we asked him about the scratches because they were um, they were noticeable. They were prominent. And um, he wasn't trying to do anything to cover them up, but it was because it was wintertime, and I think it would have been easy to do that. Um, but he explained them away as having um, had recently re- um, gotten a, a cat or a kitten, and um, that the cat had scratched him. Hmm. And again, at the time, we were all so devastated. It was just. It was a question that was asked and answered, and that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what he was wearing when he came to your house that day? Probably. Um, I don't remember specifically, but even in casual wear, he would wear um, a button-up shirt. I never saw him in a T-shirt, but um, a button-up shirt and maybe um, a sport coat and khaki pants or jeans. Mm-hmm. But um, since it was a Saturday, I, I do remember him having on a um, a button-up shirt. Like I said, I don't remember her ever seeing him with a T-shirt on right. or just a T-shirt. Um, but again, the most of our social um, interactions were after work, and so um, we weren't together on on the weekends to to socialize. So he wouldn't have been casually dressed as as if he were hanging out with with friends and not just co-workers. It doesn't stop there with these sources, though, not at all. Um, I was able to track down another woman who was actually having an affair with the then-married lawyer about two months before Tara was killed. Now, let me just say this. It's been very hard for me having to ask women about their personal details of their life, but I do believe some of this really could help solve the case or at least push us in the right direction. So let me just say this one thing to every woman who has spoken out to me, whether on or off the record, I thank you. The Baker family thanks you. It takes so much bravery. But here are some of the details that she shared with me. When I asked her if she knew about the lawyer using drugs, she said that while she had never used them with him, that she did mention that he mentioned drugs. She also recalls that her and the lawyer took a trip one time, and during that trip, He seemed to mention running away and going rogue multiple times throughout the trip. Just a little odd for someone that seems to be well on their way to being a well-to-do attorney in Athens, don't you think? I actually received a photo from this trip, and guess what the lawyer was wearing? A white t-shirt and jeans. You'll recall that this is the same description of the suspect which was seen fleeing Tara's apartment around 7 a.m. on the day that the fire was discovered. Now, could this just be a coincidence? After all, many of us men do wear a white t-shirt and jeans. Yes, I think it is and could be a coincidence, but I also think it's important for me to note for your consideration. And remember, our source before said that she also saw this person wearing a white shirt and jeans on the day after the fire on Fawn Drive at their co-worker's house. Crazy, right? (laughs) Well, the sources do not stop there. Yes, there's another source. This source knew the lawyer through the law firm and says he would often crash at their place if he would get too drunk to drive home as he lived outside of Athens. One night in particular, though, this source was out drinking with the lawyer and after a conversation about ghosts of the pasts, now keep in mind, he mentioned he had a dark side and the source tried to talk more about it, sharing their own past. The lawyer then leans in and says, no, I have a very dark side. And that's when the conversation ended. Now, it's important to note this source, along with the others you've heard from here, have gone to the authorities with their information and suspicions. Now, I know that you probably have a lot to digest with this episode. I know that my brain is still turning and still in overdrive, but there really is a lot more forthcoming on this person of interest. I want to go back to Lauren real quick because I asked her point blank what she thought happened to her friend at the hands of the person she now believes responsible. This is what she had to say. Over the years, as I've thought about things, you know, my first impression that it was somebody, maintenance, robbery, that kind of thing, it doesn't fit. 
um, because whoever went in there, you everything that was done was done with items in the house. She had a knife block on the kitchen counter. I understand it was one of those knives that was used against her. Um, one of the roommates had done uh, a load of laundry, had washed linens, and those linens were piled up on her bed with the, on that roommate's bed with the door shut. So whomever it was evidently never even opened that door or else they surely would have used these this pile of sheets to, to start this fire. So that tells me they never even opened that door. So that takes out any kind of robbery as a motive because if you're robbing the place, you're going to open every door. And it's almost as if they ne they didn't even open that door or else they probably would have taken those sheets and piled them on Tara's bed and used them. That was easy. You know, that would have been something easy to do even uh, if, if you're in a frenzied panic that would have been you know a robbery gone wrong you would have done that mm -hmm. and then the fact that the only thing taken was the laptop and Chris talked about the earrings those were not just earrings they were beautiful mm -hmm. earrings they were very very expensive nice earrings and he was right she never took those off and if someone had gone in there with the intention of robbing her, they would have taken those earrings. They were a carrot in each ear. Not a carrot, that, a total weight, but a carrot in each ear. They were, you, you noticed them. Um, and the fact that the laptop was the only thing gone, and that makes me think it had to be somebody she knew and somebody she had been corresponding with um, email <laughs> uh, was was still a rather new thing. Uh, had been around less than ten years, commonly probably more like five or six at that point. Um, and it it was not it would not have been common knowledge that the police could get emails through search warrants that they could get into these servers. And um, I don't even know that they I don't know if they even did that then. Um, I think that the laptop being the only thing taken is not a coincidence. I think there is a very definite purpose there in an effort to hide communication. Do you think, or did you know of Tara and him communicating by email? Yes, we did. We all did. Yes. Um, and so... Tell me Lauren's theory. Uh, I have the thought that it's possible that they met up. Um, since he could not go with us that Friday night, I wonder if they did not meet up when she got done at the library. We know that she was at the library by herself because Katie and Junior had left. Uh, the law school is a stone's throw from downtown. Um, I wonder if they did not meet up and things got out of hand. Um, and I wonder if that's why she would have called me because I knew him. I had seen him acting crazy and I've often wondered if she was calling me to help her deal with him. But it wasn't until a couple of years later that these pieces started coming together for me. You, you don't want to think that somebody you know could do this to somebody else you know. And I think it took me a long time to be able to, to think about it that way. Was it hard for you because you were so, you know, it was you three were friends. Mm -hmm. Was that difficult to process through that, you know, it could have happened right under your nose and you didn't even oh, know? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and again, it's, it's, you know, we still don't know. 
and until some more action is taken by some investigators or somebody comes forward with more information we're not going to know but that to me is at this point what makes the most sense do I want to believe that no I don't I don't want to believe that. In, in my heart, I, I still want to believe that it was some random person. And and I, I don't want to think that somebody we knew, that somebody we talked to every day was capable of, of doing this. In my heart, I still want to believe it was some guy posing as an air conditioner repairman. That's, that's what I want to believe. But the way the facts lay out, it just doesn't seem that way. Of course, time and a thorough, willing, effective investigation will tell if she's right. I did ask Lauren one final question about her interaction with the police and GBI over the years, and not only did she have some breaking information to share about the DNA question we've all been asking, but she tells a story very similar to what others have told. Were you ever interviewed by police? Absolutely, many times. How did you feel about those interactions? Well, I, they were never rude to me like they were the Bakers and to Chris. Um, they, since I was working and they knew where I worked and I was right there, not far from them, they would stop by and show me something. You know, I remember sitting down with them in a conference room with her phone records for several months and telling them, oh, that's so-and-so's number, that's so-and-so's number, that's so-and-so's number, that's not an unusual call, that's somebody um, from the AD Pie days, or, oh, uh, I called her from my parents' house phone, and I'm like, oh, that's my parents' house, you know, explaining those numbers. Um, I did become, you know, a, a, a good acquaintance later on when the GBI became involved, I became, I'd like to say friends with that agent. He's no longer with the, with the Bureau. I know where he is, but, um, we developed a, a rapport and he actually went, you know, the first few years, every year on the anniversary, the law school had a little memorial service. And I know he went with that. We went with, we went to that together at least once. Um, the year that she would have graduated and they gave her the posthumous posthumous um degree the the law the juris doctor uh i know we went to that together um just as you know just um you know you talk you sit with somebody for hours and discuss you know all, all this stuff and you you know you just kind of develop a, a friendship so um I I thought they were doing the best they could with what they had at the time. You know, sources tell you things, mm-hmm. too. Um, yes. What are some of the things that you've heard? Because one big debate in this case is, <clears throat> was there or was there not DNA at that scene? I was told that there was mitochondrial DNA. Now, that is not a complete DNA profile. That is kind of damaged DNA. And it's it, what you would expect to find in a circumstance like this where there was a fire and then there was efforts to extinguish the fire. Um, but I was told by one of the people working on the case that there was mitochondrial DNA. From the or from there was mitochondrial DNA now they I don't know what they have compared it to but I I was told that directly by one of the investigators bombshell right now we have further confirmation that there was DNA at that scene and I'll just say this Lauren is someone you can trust and trust me she would know I want to bring up one minor detail that all of you remember from earlier episodes because I have new breaking information. I want you to recall the only thing that was missing from Tara's room was her laptop. A laptop that might have contained these emails that have been mentioned in this episode, perhaps? I have found someone who claims to have intercepted this laptop not long after Tara's death. Someone who at the time was dealing, you guessed it, drugs. 
Now, we know of only one person connected to this case who was known to use drugs, the lawyer. Coincidence or a connection? Maybe, maybe not. Worth exploring? Absolutely. So who had this laptop? Who was he? Where is he now? What's the possible connection? And what other theories exist about who could have been involved in the murder and why? I have the answers to all of these important questions next time on Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron J., co-produced and designed by Kyle Kazaya. You can find us online at www.classiccitycrime.com, on Facebook and Instagram at Classic City Crime, and you can always email us with story tips or new information at classiccitycrime at gmail.com. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rate and leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. With that, we'll see you next week. This is Classic City Crime.